0: Hey, what up? It is 2 a.m. here, I am at home in my room, got my books in the back and some posters up. I have been reading some books lately, a lot of books, um, on a specific topic which I'll tell you about, and I thought out of the kindness of my heart to make some book reviews and share some feedback on the books I am reading, because I'm a nice guy. So, I've actually been wanting to do this for a while, and um, was kind of like, "Mm, nah, I'd rather just read on my own and not have to put my face on the screen on the interwebs. But Whatever, I'll make the video and uh, maybe I will upload and maybe I won't upload, so here it goes. I am going to do, for the first book in this series, Mysticism and Philosophy from Walter Terence Stace. Um, I'm hoping to do um, about a hundred books in the series. I've finished 100 already, um, so I might just do those that I've done already, uh, if they're still interesting, or new ones that I read as I go along. Um, this is also the very first video that I'm doing, so the quality is probably pretty bad, so I apologize, and hopefully, if this continues, the quality will improve and you will forgive me for this first bad video, but you got to start somewhere, so that's that. Um, Why I chose this book from Stace, well, the title pretty much says it all, Mysticism and Philosophy, that's what I'm into right now, and it gets quoted quite around by Peeps, and it was quite an important book, and I'll talk about that as we go on. So it was a bit of an obvious pick, not a very sort of obscure work, um, at least within the field of studying mysticism and philosophy. It's not too obscure. In terms of like a popular book, this is not exactly the thumbnail, clickbait, mysticism and philosophy, but I'm doing something a bit more niche here. So if you're into my niche, you're into this. What up? Um, Where did I get the book? I found it for free online on a PDF, and so can you. And if I figure out how to be tech savvy, I can pop a link under this video when it gets posted. So you can read it for free as well. Um, Or you can just find it at a library, um, like a state library, big library, gonna have it because it's a popular work, as we said. So, a bit about the author, Mr. Stace, was a British British philosopher. Um, He was into empiricism and Hegel and um, Phenomenalism, which is not phenomenology, but something different. I'm not exactly sure what it is. Um, I'm not going to tell you too much about Stace, because this video is not supposed to be a bio-vid on Walter William. What's his name? Walter Stace. I should know his name. That would be helpful. But it's supposed to be about the book. If you do want to read about him, he's an interesting dude, and I recommend checking it out on Wikipedia. Um, just a little, he was born in London, um, he was an English philosopher, as we said. He was born in 1886, and he died in 1967. I am reading from my screen here because I didn't memorize all these dates, I'm not that bored. Um, he died at the age of 80, the ripe old average age to die in America, I think it's 82 is the average now, in Laguna Beach, wow, 2 a.m., Laguna Beach, California, which is beautiful. I have been to Laguna Beach for a weekend, and I uh, recommend it. It's a nice place to die. Um, he was an interesting dude. He His family pushed him to do civil service, and he went to Ceylon, which is present-day Sri Lanka. I hope I pronounced that correct. Um, at the time, it was under British mandate, British rule, and uh, he did well. He was like a district judge for a while. He was mayor of this Ceylon uh... the mayor actually of Colombo and there's still a big uh, street named after him a big street named after him that will come out in post-edit um... over there he got interested in hinduism and buddhism and mysticism in general and then brought that back into his philosophical study he ended up teaching at princeton um... and he's best known for this book which we're covering which is lucky because we only do the best mysticism and philosophy what was that? He also wrote other books, um, like te- The Teachings of the Mystics, which I have not read yet, and it's a uh, supposedly more popular public book um, than this one, which is more directed at the philosophically minded. He also wrote a influential essay called Man Against Darkness for the Atlantic. He was somewhat of a public intellectual, public philosopher, um, and uh, he has this cool quote in The Man Against Darkness, which is an analysis of religion and what science is doing to religion, Um, and talking about how religion is crumbling under science. Um, And he writes that it's not just the scientific doctrines per se, the ideas of Copernicus and Galileo and Darwin, because we could have fit theology into those uh, scientific frameworks, but uh, the very enterprise of science. And he writes this, he says uh, he says that science has no teleology. There's no grand scheme, no end goal of science. And he says if the scheme of things is purposeless and meaningless, then the life of man. Well, it's a bit old dated, but man or woman, I guess, is purposeless and meaningless too. Everything is futile. All effort is, in the end, worthless. A man may of course still pursue disconnected ends: money, fame, art, science and may gain pleasure from them, but his life is hollow at the center, hence the dissatisfaction, disillusion, restless spirit of modern man, we would add, and woman. Um, yeah, so you could see that sort of uh, <laughs> very popular critique of the emptiness of modern man, the alienation, um, which is not wrong, so can't blame him for that. This obviously spurred him on to his study of mysticism, and uh, pushed him in that direction. And, apparently also there was a mystical experience that he had when he was younger, which he does not mention in the book, Um, he's mute on that, but I did see it while looking up for this little short bio to add here in the video for you guys, um, which would also explain some of his intellectual trajectory. I was thinking of making this video like 5 minutes, maybe 10 minutes, because apparently YouTube algorithms like 10 minutes videos, don't ask me why or how I know that, but I am just going to roll with it because it's the first video and we'll see how long it goes for, so yeah, here for the ride. In 1960, he published this book now, This Is My Philosophy, um, and he it was a pretty important work. He was seen as one of the pioneers in the philosophical school of mysticism. Um, this is a quote I'm reading here now, so don't sue me. He was seen as someone who laid out and offered solutions to the major issues in the study of the subject and created an important phenomenological classification of mystical experience, which then people like Hood took up and used his ph- his phenomenological uh, structures to analyze mysticism. So he's an important dude who launches kind of this uh, mysticism being s- studied from a philosophical, phenomenological perspective, um, obviously writing after some more important authors who already kicked the field off, so he can't take all the credit, which we will discuss in due time, um, popular figures, you know, I'm actually not going to say who wouldn't hold that. Um, he also contributed leads to the study of psychology mysticism, in a lecture he gave on the psychology of mysticism, appropriately titled, The Psychology of Mysticism. Not a very creative dude, mysticism and philosophy, psychology of mysticism. And he lays out six psychological principles of mystical experience, and they are, one, an undifferentiated unity, which we'll see comes back in our text here. Two, the dissolution of the self, nice. Three, feeling of revelation or veracity of the event. Four, feeling of blessedness and peace. Who doesn't want that? Five, feeling serenity. Six, the transformation of the subject's moral character from evil towards good and nobility. So, now, to get to our book, um, what I want to do is give you a short summary of the book, then tell you what his big ideas are, that he contributes to the field, and which are his lasting sort of catchphrases that are associated with him um, and the field. Um, What I personally liked about the book, what I found to be funny about the book. I'm going to read you a passage, perhaps if you're lucky, if you're well behaved and a good audience. Um, Then we're going to do some critical remarks, both from myself and from some other critiques, criticizers. Um, And then I'm going to recommend or disrecommend the book. That's going to be the schedule for tonight. Good morning. Um, so, brief summary of the book. He begins by laying out his presuppositions for his inquiry, what his standards um, of philosophical presumptions will be, and coming from this phenomenological background, he's has to sort of put forth what his givens are, <clears throat> and where we're going to set our, our criteria of proof um, and expectation. Um, and he does this nicely when he uh, goes on to describe how an experience can be defined as objective. Um, he talks about orderliness, so it's there is some creativity in his philosophical method, um, and it doesn't get ov- it doesn't get overly bogged down in trying to appease his fellow academic, academic, academicians uh, with you know endless talk of how we're going to quantify what we're going to consider proof, but it's more of a common sense argument that he puts forth within his philosophical school. Um, Moving along quickly, he goes on to define mysticism, um, what it is, and importantly what it's not, um, and then goes on to propose a common core um, across mystical experiences, um, interpretations of mystical experiences, which he also differentiates, we'll see. That common core idea is a, as we've spoken before in his psychological analysis of mysticism, is the idea of a unitive experience, a oneness. Um, And every tradition, as he elucidates, gives us a bit of a different twist. So in Hinduism, it's going to be the unity of Atman and Brahman. In uh, more theistic Western religions, it's going to be the unity of the soul and God. Um, Buddhism, he Realizes maybe a bit more difficult to fit into his scheme of unity and oneness, um, but he manages to do it nonetheless. I'm not going to tell you everything in the book with it because that would just spoil the book for you. I'll just give you some like fun trailer tidbits so that you'll be like, oh damn, I'm going to read this book myself. Um, and because he's going for this common core theory, that puts him sweetly into the modern camp of the perennialists. Um, which I personally are quite fond of, um, both their historical Renaissance predecessors, the Pico della Mirangelas and the Marcello Ficonos, and the later contemporary thinkers, you know, the Aldous Huxleys and the William Jameses of modern perennialism, don't like the traditionalists, and we'll talk about them when the time's right. Um, and because he puts himself in the camp of the Common Core, perennialists, he does get some critique from <laughs> you-know-who, cats. <laughs> but uh, we're not up to critique yet, so one thing at a time, so. Now, he goes on to talk about how we can establish uh, objectivity and whether the mystical experience is objective or subjective. I'm not going to tell you what he concludes on that, but the way that he sets out his criteria uh, is... is Sort of not uh, tight, but it's nice to go along with and think about. Um, he then, in the next chapter, proposes this idea of pantheism, not using the way that any other author is using, using it how he chooses to. And he uses it as a middle ground between dualism and monism. Um, I think more realistically, we would now call this position some sort of a dialectical monism, um, or, and remember, he is also a scholar of Hegel. Um, or some sort of um, um, dualistic monism, um, apophatic entanglement—that's a bit different from this pure metaphysical um, structure that we're talking about here now. But he has this category of pantheism, which—and he uses this, as we said, to to um, balance between monism and dualism. And he ends up projecting both extremes and saying we need this pantheism, which is this marriage, this. What we would now call some dualistic monism, dialectical monism. Um, In the next little chapter, he works through some theories of logic, um, trying to explain, trying to fit a logical system onto uh, mysticism, and he goes on to reject all of those systems. This is a common theme, by the way, which is interesting because a lot of modern philosophers don't argue this way. This is something you see a lot in the Scholastics and in um, ancient Muslim and Jewish and Christian philosophers, where in laying out the philosophy, they'll lay out every um, sort of attempted um, position or positions that that may be suggested, um, sometimes straw them, although I don't feel like it doesn't really do that much here, um, and then going to reject them all to then finally suppose their theory. And he does that here with theories of logic, um, eventually going to dismiss them and saying that mysticism and logic are in two separate realms. He does that with theories of language in the next chapter, trying to um, explain why mysticism is so often portrayed as ineffable, and yet then spoken about, um, and he goes on to reject those theories of language, um, theories of immortality, different conceptualizations of what happens when we die and how we live on, um, and also rejects <laughs> basically those. Um, and in ethics, um, something strange here, he, he goes through different theories of ethics and mysticism, um, and... He's question in the chapter on mysticism and ethics is whether, if we can prove that mysticism is the driver of ethics. Um, and in that sense, he may be setting up a bit of a straw man argument, or sort of inflating the argument to its maximum, where it does not need to go, in my opinion. Um, but the, I don't think this video is for my opinions. Um, whatever. And, um, and then rejects it for that reason, because it's being pushed to its maximal. Um, and then goes on to end with some concluded remarks on mysticism and religion. So that is the basic summary of the chapter outline of the book. Um, so presuppositions, um, defining mysticism, and proposing a common core theory, um, establishing objectivity and questioning whether it's objective or subjective, um, his category of pantheism to mitigate between monism and dualism, going through theories of logic language, um, immortality, ethics, and then religion. That's the book. In brief, you're welcome. The big ideas of the book, which are the lasting contribution that are thrown around when Stace is mentioned by later authors, is number one, his big distinction between introverted and extroverted mysticism. The extroverted mystic, um, which he sees as lesser and on a spectrum going towards the uh, the introverted mystic, is the mystic who still sees all of the multiplicity of phenomena in the outside world but sees some sort of substantial underlying unity in that phenomena, that's what he calls the extroverted, that it happens, experiences it in the external world through his senses. The introverted is in the deep recesses of the soul, um, the way that States describes it, and there is no multiplicity which has to be made unified, there is simply nothing. Um, It's what would later get picked up by Foreman as sort of the pure consciousness event. Um, And he very much privileges um, exoteric introverted mysticism over extroverted mysticism, um, which again, maybe I'll do a separate video on my personal feels, um, or just... Uh, read my book when it's done. What? Um, but yeah, I don't know if I love that axiology, that uh, prefacing of one over the other, and particularly the way that he puts it, but that's Stace's big thing. You'll see that constantly thrown around. Um, and Stace begins to distinguish between the experience of mysticism and the interpretation of mysticism, something which wasn't done to a whole great degree. Cats obviously feels like this is not enough and we have to take into account the context which predisposes the experience, not just the context which then interprets the experience. But this is not about cats and we are not Cats fans, as you will gather. Um, So I feel like those are the two main points in the book. What I liked about the book was Stace's... Firstly, he's just very... Um, methodological, moving philosophically through the issues. He's critiqued it as not having a rigid enough of methodology or a consistent enough methodology, which is true, but at the very least he is one of the early thinkers to begin to apply the categories and frameworks of contemporary philosophical systems to the study of mysticism and not just come to it um, as a singing to the choir um, gospel of mysticism or a Christocentric history of mysticism, which is what so much works were before. Um, and that was really cool to read. Um, also, not too jargony or heavy. It's a nice, um, easy read. Doesn't bug you down at any particular point. One may perhaps want to be bogged down every once in a while, just for some intellectual um and some steroids for the brain um, but there was none of that it was ma- it was written to be very accessible um, really to a layman I think um, like myself the uneducated um, what I did love personally is how his emphasis was on the unitive quantity of the unit of quality of, the, of mysticism um, and I'm all about that unity and looking for that philosophically in mysticism that's the definition which I vibe for. So, that's just a personal preference, and I like that he did that. That's what I liked. That's what this part of the review is about. So, suck it. Um, what I found to be funny about the book was that, um, in his attempt to, um, go through these, uh, these systems of logic, he goes on and, um, how do I say this nicely? (laughs) Rejects, um, a lot of other systems of logic, um, and finds them to be absurd and uh, words without meaning, um, particularly applying this to Hegel, um, which was surprising when I read up his bio because he was such a Hegel dude, he like wrote a whole book on Hegel, um, and yet he's like totally dismissing Hegel's take on mysticism, and uh, Otto Rank, I think as well, is someone who he was like, bro, you are not saying anything that is helpful philosophically about the logic of mysticism, you are just talking words. Um, and, um, next, um, I, hmm, I was going to read a passage from the book, like a favorite passage, um, but I have a system of reading, which I'll perhaps tell you about in another video if you guys are interested. Right now I'm talking to no one, (laughs) because I haven't uploaded a single video, but when I do have an audience. God willing, um, I'll tell you about my system and why I don't yet have one uh, text reading picked out. But I did find a nice text um, in another of his writings, um, which gives some interesting background to this text. I noticed that, I mean this is no surprise, but seeing his thought in other areas um, gives some explanation to this book, which is lacking, Um, and we'll talk about that in the criticism portion of the review. Um, Oh, we're getting now to 23 minutes, I should probably wrap up. He says, either God is a mystery or he is nothing at all. Again, a bit of male-centric language. Um, To ask for a proof of the existence of God is on par with asking for a proof of the existence of beauty. If God does not lie at the end of any telescope, neither does he lie at the end of, of any syllogism. Well said, Mr. Stace. Um, And reading the book with that quote in mind does some elucidation for the reader. Um, He also says this great quote in this very short, more poetic text called *The Gate of Silence*. Um, He writes that uh, we live in a world which is void of meaning, purpose, and value, as he said before in his earlier rant in *The Atlantic*, and. He said that, um, in this world, the hogwash of spirituality will provide no solace, Uh, a sentiment which I frankly agree with, the hogwash of mysticism uh, and new age spirituality, which is why he goes on to make this more philosophically vigorous, rigorous form of uh, mysticism, which can give some solace to the empty, broken, yearning, lonely, pained soul. Now, critical remarks time. Um, so, it's been super influential, but also been superly criticised because he falls into this perennialist camp. He's obviously, uh, he's often criticised for not being critical with his sources, um, and making assumptions that they have shared experiences because the shared language and description are the same, um, and that his translations are poor, are second-hand... Um, and that his grasp on the Eastern traditions are lacking in accuracy. Um, Those were critiques which I read from others. The critique which I felt most pressing while reading was that in his key arguments, when he finally gets around them at the core of his chapters, are built on way too many um, assumed assumptions... Um, that are just slipped right into there. He has this um, argument about the unity of minds, that there's only one mind because if the minds are empty, um, then there's something to differentiate and individuate them from one another. Um, and But there are so many presuppositions in his argument that he just flies right under the radar. Um, and If you stop and you ask one second between A and B, there's like A point A, A point B, A point C, and um, yeah, do it for yourself. And uh, see what you find. I'm not going to tell you how to read the book or what to think, but um, that was what I found to be philosophically shonky in the book. Um, do I recommend it or do I not recommend it? I definitely do recommend that I give it my tick. You can find the line for free and uh, have fun reading. It reads nicely. You may find um, that it gets a bit boring when he applies. Um, it's kind of funny, like, if you ever read Plotinus, um, every series of questions is answered by the same answer. The one. Um, and over here, he has this sort of philosophical um, ending game on all these arguments, which is, yeah, well, like, in the unit of experience, there's nothing to, there's no multiplicity to experience, and if there's no multiplicity, then X in logic, Y in language, um, Z in ethics. Um, so it gets a bit predictable, and maybe slightly boring, um, but still worth reading. Um, now, that is the end of this review, thank you very much. In terms of which book I will be reviewing next, I want to hear from you guys, but since there are no you guys, it's like a hypothetical you guys, um, we are going to choose from some, um, philosophy and... mysticism, philosophy, or mysticism and history. Um, The classics at the top of my read list that I've read already um, was mysticism from Evelyn Underhill, the Anglican scholar, Um, mysticism East and West from Rudolf Otto, looking at Eckhart and Shankara, Um, mysticism from Hapold, mysticism from Wainwright, um, Non-Duality, which I'm reading now from uh, David Loy, great work, studying comparative philosophy. Um, Katz's essay on philosophical analysis, which we'll read and discuss. Um, perennial philosophy from Huxley, a fave, and along with his Doors of Perception, which takes us into psychedelics and mysticism, a topic which we have explored and read on as well, don't worry. Um, there's the psychology of mysticism, James's Variety of Religious Experience. We have the Humanists, the Transcendentalists, um, we have Jung, we have Maslow, and uh, we have been reading them and we will share them with you. You just wait, subscribe. And uh, obviously, the Mythologists, Mythology, Mysticism, we got that Campbell, we got the Kabbalists in Mysticism, we got that Gershon Shalom, we got that Edel Wolfson. Um, what else? Yeah, we have lots of fun stuff coming for you guys. We're going to talk about Hinduism, Vedanta, Buddhism, Mayana, Taoism, some Alan Watts, um, some Jewish mysticism, that's my personal background, that's where I grew up, that's my home, so Kabbalah, Hasidism, we're going to talk about Sufism in the Muslims, our holy brothers there. Christian mystics, lots of them, cool peeps, great poets, along with the Sufis. Gnosticism, Hermeticism, Western, eris, Western Esotericism, and New Age mysticism, but um, wild stuff. Everyone today loves Gnosticism. Hermeticism will be the next cool thing, just wait. We're we'll going to talk about the Greek philosophical mystics, the Greco-Roman Mystery, Religions, Pre-Philosophy, then down through our big mate, Plato, down through Plotinus, (laughs) into Neoplatonism, um, Romanticism, Idealism, Transcendentalism, um, Perennialism, of course, and our mates, the Traditionalists. Yeah, we got some cool stuff coming. Um, Hang tight. If you have any suggestions, any books you want me to read, Enter to review, I will do that for you, much love, keep coming back, keep reading, and uh, keep spreading the unity.